We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. It is our Monday episode, and you know who's joining me, the one and only Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on, brother? Oh, not too much. Coming off a win on the road, that's a good thing. Absolutely, and you know, the Pacers have actually put together three wins in a row here after getting, you know, their butts banked on Sunday by 46 points. You know, Kent, <laughs> uh, just to kind of review the week, you know, you start out with that big loss, and they responded well against Charlotte, take care of business against Portland on Thursday night, primetime game, and then beat the Cavaliers, you know, in a close game as well. So what were your thoughts on the week? Well, I, you know, I think you got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, right? And mm-hmm. and that's exactly what the Pacers did last night. It's what they did against Portland. It's what they did against Charlotte. Portland without Lillard at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. You have to win that game. You have to go out and beat a team like the Cavs. Even though they're a little bit better, they keep improving. This is a, uh, I mean, they they were 9-22 and coming into last night's game. So you get the win. And, and that, you, you got to beat the Patsies. And then you you kind of hold serve or you you flip a coin with really good teams. You do that, I think you wind up with a four seed. Well, what were your thoughts on the way the Pacers responded to that forty uh, six point loss of Toronto? You know, I I thought that it was the right kind of bounce back. Yeah. You know, you lose by forty six, you win by thirty nine. It, it, it's almost like they decided that they wanted to prove to themselves that they were still a quality team, and that was not representative of their level of play. Nate McMillan said as much when we talked to him earlier this week that, you know, obviously he was not thrilled with the level of effort in Toronto getting beat by 46. But then you come back against Charlotte, and and you really kind of find your rhythm, and and you get it rolling. And out of that comes a, uh, you know, a win that you, you should have gotten. But it was kind of a... It, 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 to me, it was sort of a statement game 
where mm-hmm. they decided, okay, you know, to hell with this. We're going to start playing basketball the way we know we can, and they did. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been calling it. It was a wake-up call. I mean, you know, yeah. you can you can take a loss on the road to Toronto, even though the Pacers have played them well, you know, the other three games this year, even though some have resulted in losses. I mean, you just look at this game and you're thinking, okay, you know, if we get beat by 10, 12, whatever, it's like it's a tough game on the road. But no, I mean, when you lose by 46, I mean, you just didn't show up to play a period in any aspect of the game. And I thought the way they responded was absolutely beautiful against Charlotte. I know it was only 39 points, but uh, still. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I, I was a little bit uh, down on the way they played against Portland and Cleveland, though. I thought that they looked just kind of okay. I didn't feel great about them after those two games. I, I felt like the Portland game was way too close, and yeah. I felt like they just really struggled on uh, especially with adding Oladipo back, you could just tell there was still trying to figure some things out. It felt like, to me at points, T.J. Warren was just kind of not part of the offense, and I kind of wish he would be more a part of it, uh, and we saw that against Cleveland, but the defense was horrific. Uh, points in the paint. I mean, Dr- Drummond was having his way. It was it was awful. So what were your thoughts on the wins that we had? Well, I, I thought last night, as you said, it was really good to see uh, T.J. Warren shoot the ball really well. Um, I, I still worry about and, – and this this was kind of exacerbated this week. We got a chance to talk to Vic for a while, and and I get a little bit worried about Vic. I, I When we talk to his teammates, they don't seem concerned. Nate doesn't seem concerned. But it seems like Vic is always concerned with Vic instead of being concerned with the team. And I, I know he's a good teammate, and I know he's a good dude. I've known him for a long time. But, man, do I want him to buy into the team concept a little bit more than he does and stop thinking about him. We were talking about shooting earlier this week, and he said, and, and he's right to an extent, that he never regrets a miss. In fact, he thinks that some of his misses are better shots than some of his makes. And I understand what he's talking about. But you know what? At some point, be that guy who facilitates. And if you got a, if you got five guys who are all facilitating for each other, you got a chance to be really good if you're this team. But if you're trying to be Vic and the supporting cast, that doesn't work. And and that's not about, to me, pre-injury Victor or, or post-injury Victor and what he's able to do physically. It's that Victor Oladipo is never going to be one of those top five guys in the league that you can build your offense around. And so he's got to figure out how to be a component part to what they do. And if he doesn't, this team is going to suffer. And I really think that it has since he's come back. And he's got to figure out it's not up to the other four guys who are on the floor with him. It's up to Victor to understand that he's got to be a component rather than the focus. Yeah, and I thought last night, I mean, even though he had the second most shot attempts of the team, I, I thought he played pretty well last night. Yeah. Uh, didn't feel like he was forcing a lot, maybe a couple shots that were a little bit forced. But, I mean, he only recorded one assist, but I thought he had some nice little passes to Sabonis, and those led to other opportunities. And, you know, it, just, it didn't feel like he was controlling the game where, you know, it was honestly – I felt like it was a quiet night for T.J. Warren until the fourth quarter when he hit about uh, six points in a row. I was like, man, T.J. Warren's already got this many points. It feels like it's been kind of quiet. But it really felt to me like how they played the Cavs earlier in the season where 
you know, the bench was just so bad. I mean, the bench did not do really any favors for the team last night, and the guys had to rely upon the starters to to really pull them through. And it was a beautiful thing to see. I mean, I love seeing them all in double digits. I think that's a good sign going forward. They all played well off of each other. They were all in the pluses on the plus minus. And, and you see Turner and Sabonis with double-digit rebounds. Love yeah. to see that. So, you know, personally, like that game, it was a little rough defensively, but I still like the way in the – the pace they are playing with because sometimes I feel like the Pacers can be a little sluggish how they start off quarters and, and it could be kind of a slow process getting them going and it's almost like it takes McConnell coming into the game for them to start playing with energy but it didn't feel like that way last night I don't know if you felt differently but that's how I felt no you know and I really like I, I think Sabonis is kind of that steady Eddie guy who who brings energy and kind of a blue collar mentality and, and along with that, he puts up steady numbers. I mean, it's the second time in the last week he's missed a triple-double by one assist. 18 and 13, you can almost pencil in. Those were his averages, mm-hmm. basically. And, and he continues to deliver on his averages. And, and Warren is a guy who, when all else fails, he's going to go get you buckets in unique ways. He can score near the rim. He's got a good mid-range game. He, he hits some threes. He, he's a guy who very, very quietly you, you can utilize to, to go get points where otherwise you'd be unable to. And, and really, as I continue to look at this team and, and watch a game like last night where you think, okay, this is going to be a W, so let's, let's think about what this looks like when they get to the playoffs. I just don't have a great feeling about the postseason for the Pacers, but you know they got, what, 22 games left to kind of get this thing right and figure it out. I, I thought that, you know, we talked about that Raptors game and how the game following that uh, against Charlotte was kind of a message game for the Pacers, at least a message to themselves. Mm-hmm. I thought the game against the Raptors was kind of the Raptors saying, hey, if we fall into the three hole and you're still at six, we're going to kick your ass <laughs> and we're going to show you exactly how we're going to do it tonight. I thought it was that game against the Raptors uh, a week ago. Yeah, and that's that's fair. I mean, that's a good point. And I, I agree with you. I mean, even even watching last night, I guess I felt a little bit better about last night just because the starters played well together. But, yeah. I, you know, I was watching the Charlotte game, and I'm like, okay, this is the response I expected because Charlotte's not good. And, you know, this is what you have to do against these teams. And if you don't respond to a 46-point loss, that says more about this team and, you know, what they're going to do in the future. But they responded well. I was hoping that they would go out there and, you know, just take care of business against Portland, but they really struggled in that game. And I was like, man, I'm just feeling kind of pessimistic about this team just because I don't know what it is, but it just feels like they can never get consistent momentum going anymore. You know, since that 31 and 17 record that we talked about a couple episodes ago, it just feels like, you know, I'm just waiting for that momentum to continue where they're playing good basketball collectively. And I mean, last night, I, like I said, starters were great. I would love to see that going forward the rest of this uh, road trip. They got four more games left on it. See how these guys, you know, gel together as a team on the road because we know road trips can do that. And I, I really believe that the Pacers are good enough. And I think come playoff time, hopefully they'll turn it up a notch. I mean, you always expect that. And I think if they were to face Toronto again, they would make sure that they did not get beat by as bad as they did because they're going to have, you would hope, they're going to have some type of revenge in them where they're like, we're not going to get shown up again. You know, we're, we've been competitive with this team three out of four times. Let's show them how serious of a threat we are. But, you know, in all honesty, Ken, I mean, 
I'm not feeling great about this team, but they keep winning games. So, yep. you know, they can't, you know, it's only going to get better if they keep winning. You know, that, you're 100% right. As you look at the standings, the Pacers right now are 36 and 24. The second place team in the East, the Toronto Raptors, they're only 42 and 17. Yeah. So that's six and a half games are, are really, uh, yeah, that's right, six and a half games. So over the course of an 82-game season, if it's six-and-a-half games difference, that's not a whole hell of a lot. Right. And, and so, you know, while I'm kind of being whiny about, about the Pacers really having a whole lot of good and not a whole lot of great in them, you know what? In, in the end, they're winning the games that they should, and they're losing some games that really they should, and so is everybody else in the East minus the Milwaukee Bucks, and it's all academic anyway. It doesn't matter what the Raptors do. There's no way, unless they're uh, like an injury bug sweeps across the Milwaukee roster, there's no, and, and that means the freak, um, there's no way they're not coming out of the East. So, you know, everybody's playing for second place. And and given what we see in the standings and given what we see where the, the Pacers, you know, right now are playing clunky basketball and not playing kind of that fist-related basketball rather than five wobbly fingers, you know, <laughs> this is a team where if they come together, they could make it to the, the Eastern Conference Finals. There's no reason that they can't, but right now they just don't look like that team. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing. It's like we know what they can be, but have we seen it yet? No, we have not. And you know, we did. I didn't bring this up to you yet because we haven't had a chance to talk. But losing Jeremy Lamb, that's a big loss yeah. for the Pacers Sunday uh, in Toronto, out for the year, probably you know, possibly out till next All Star break with that kind of injury. So I'm I'm just curious. You know, we saw that Portland game. It was kind of an interesting decision by McMillan to not put Aaron Holiday with the second unit that had been so successful. They end up putting Jakar Sampson and Goga out there for a minute, and that looked horrible. And yeah. I know Goga is is your favorite player on the team, Ken. <laughs> but I just got to be honest with you. I don't want to see him anymore for the rest of the season. When he's out there, uh, he doesn't look confident. He looks scared, and he always looks out of position. And I would just rather ride with the nine-man rotation. Or if you're going to go 10 deep, I'd rather play Jakar at a small ball five for the little two minutes that he has because, honestly, it's just like – he just he, he's not helping the team right now. Well, and I think that that's why he was optioned to Fort Wayne, right? He's going to yeah. get some time with Fort Wayne. I think if he played in the G League the entire season, he would be the MVP of the G League. When he Probably. goes to Fort Wayne, like he puts up 2020s like it's his job. And and I think that at some point that's going to convert to NBA success. But right now you're right. I mean, he has he has no real role with this team. And that's really tough on a 19, 20-year-old like Batadz is. So, um, yeah, I, I get that. We don't need to see any more of Goga. I always root for him when he comes out. He's the nicest guy. And, oh, yeah. and so maybe that's like a, a media bias thing where I just enjoy being around the guy. And, and so you hope for him to become a better basketball player. But seriously, as you look at him in practice, you know what? He's a guy who is a willing learner. And he's, I mean, let's face it, five, six years ago, this guy was living on the streets mm-hmm. in, in Georgia, and now he's playing in the NBA, and he's trying to figure it out. And last year he played in the Euro League, and, and not a, a whole bunch 
you know, this is this is kind of new to him. He's going to develop. He's got a great-looking shot. He's a great kid. He's a willing passer. He's going to be a good shot-blocking type guy. He's just really, really young. He The upside for Goga, I think, is tremendous. But the present value, like you said, is lacking for sure. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I, I too, root for him when he's out there. I'm like, he, he takes that open three last night in Cleveland. I'm like, okay, go in. I mean, it's it's a beautiful-looking shot. It just didn't go, you know. And it's kind of one of those things where – I'm just like, okay, you know, I root for the guy and I want to see him do well. But at the end of the day, I would rather just stay with the nine-man rotation or figure something out. And I think Aaron Holiday can be a little bit of a game changer with that second unit because he has no fear uh, of anybody. I mean, my favorite game so far possibly this season is when he was going back and forth with Kyle Lowry in that Toronto game. Serge Ibaka steps up on him on a pick and roll, and he hits a three in his face, and then he's talking to him. I mean, I I love that about him, and he's the only kind of guy that's a little bit crazy on this team where he believes in himself, especially more than Amy McMillan does, that's for sure. But I just don't get why he's not playing as much. He is an instant offense type guy where he can come off the bench and in three minutes he can go get you 12 points. There was a guy for the Pistons back in the day named Vinnie Johnson, and they called mm-hmm. him the microwave. And, and Aaron Holiday has a lot of microwave in him. And, and he does have a chip on his shoulder that's rather substantial. And he competes, and he talks, and he yells, and he kibitzes, and he's all about all of those things. And you're right, this is a team – where you look at Malcolm Brogdon, Malcolm doesn't get real emotional. You know, Miles doesn't get terribly emotional. T.J. Warren, oddly enough, it, it, it can get really emotional and all of a sudden go get teased when he thinks that officials aren't being kind to him. But Aaron Holiday is that one guy who's got some real prick in him. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it, and I like that. You need yeah. guys like that because – he, I mean, every time they call foul on him, he gets mad, and I love it. It's just like he's the only one that really like seems to care that much. I mean, you saw Sabonis get that way a little bit when they called the fouls on him in the Portland game, but that definitely threw things off in that game for sure, Hitting him getting into early foul trouble because it, it is what it is. He did have three early fouls. I mean, they were good calls. So, you know, it's, it's one of the things, but I do want to talk just to kind of wrap this whole entire week up with the recap. Uh, your thoughts on the improved play of Miles Turner. Well, I, I think he's kind of found his rhythm, and that's a really good thing. And it, it's not always translating into gaudy box score numbers. He had 10 and 10 last night with four blocks, and that's a good place for him to be. You know, get, And that's the matchup that you hate for Miles Turner, right, going up against Andre Drummond. I don't want to play Andre Drummond anymore. We already <laughs> banked our four more time. Pistons. God almighty, we got to play this guy six times this season. That just doesn't seem fair. But I think Miles is – and you know what? I saw a thing last night during the game that I kind of liked, and it was a, it, it was a cutaway during the, uh, the Pacers broadcast on Fox Sports Indiana where they showed Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon talking. And Miles all of a sudden seemed like a guy, and maybe this is me kind of just, you know, filling in the blanks in a narrative that I'd like to create, but it seemed like those guys were speaking as equals. Mm-hmm. And I remember Miles from the time he was a rookie, really throughout his career with the Pacers, being sort of this neophyte, being this young guy, this innocent who was trying to prove that he belonged. And last night, the body language that he showed with Brogdon, who is like, it, it, that's like playing basketball with the United States Senator, for God's sake, the guy's <laughs> that impressive. Right. You know, that they were on equal footing. 
and and that Miles felt good about who he is and good about belonging on this team, not just from a talent perspective, but really having a behavioral niche. Mm-hmm. And and I thought that that was very cool. And and as much as I root for Goga, I root for Miles too, because Miles is a guy. He's kind of that that lightning rod for fans. I mean, people like to point at him and say he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, but. What he needs to do in the end for this team to be successful is exactly what he did last night. I agree. You know, hit the shots when they're open, go be aggressive on the glass, and and protect the paint. I mean, you really can't ask for more than that. And, of course, you know, he does have a problem with bigger centers like the Joel Embiid's and the Andre Drummond's like we saw last night. But I did like the defensive matchup where they came out in the second half and put Sabonis on Drummond and and put Turner on Love. I just feel like sometimes with having two centers, it's okay to, you know, have them guard a different position, especially if it helps yeah. you with the matchup. I understand you want Turner on the five because you want to protect the rim, but if he can't you know, if he doesn't match up well with the five and he matches up better with the four, you know, why not switch it? And I think at the end of the day, can you know Drummond? <laughs> Drummond's a good basketball player. He's not great, but he's really good on the offensive end, and he knows how to get into guys. And when you're bigger than guys, and you can push guys around, you know it's hard to stop. But I, I think that you know Turner last night, and, and even against the the Blazers, I thought he looked well, uh, terrific in that game as well. He he's he's continuing to grow, and I think he's continuing to uh, adapt to his new role and, and accept it, and you know uh, thrive in it because. He could just stand there and not do anything, but he's he's continuing to get better at it, and I'm just I'm just excited about the future of this team with those starting five, and I want to see what they can do the rest of the season because we've only got what is it 22 games left, so yeah, you know they're they're gonna have to really you know make this month of March count because heading into April is when they need to be playing their best basketball. Absolutely, and this little road trip that they're on, they're one game in and one and zero on it. If they can finish the other four games on this trip, two and two. That's terrific. They got to be able to beat the Spurs. You got to be able to beat the Bulls, and then if you lose to the Bucks and who else they got? Dallas. They, yeah, Dallas. You lose those two games. You lose those two games. But if you come back three and two, you start to feel pretty good about yourself. And you know what? And and, and this is, a, I guess, a personal peccadillo against Kevin Love. But if if you you know, if you don't want to play against Drummond, going out and playing against Love, Love is never going to beat you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Love is never the reason a team wins or a team loses. And and so Miles going out and taking care of business against uh, Kevin Love and leaving a guy like Drummond to a guy who really craves contact like Domas Sabonis, really, really smart. But I'm, I'm looking forward to these next four games as a good bellwether because if they can if they can split these next four then the schedule gets really interesting for them with a game against the 76ers i think they've got two left against the sixers they got another one against the heat you know if they can find their rhythm and and start to play against those teams at a higher level being only two games behind the heat one game behind the sixers you can get to that four hole and if you get to that four hole anything's possible in the first round yeah, no, they definitely have some tough games coming up. You know, they've got, I think they've got Boston twice. They've got Philadelphia one more time on the road. They've got Miami twice. And I believe they've got uh, the Rockets coming in town. That'll be an interesting game. See how they match up yeah. with them. Uh, on the road, they got the Clippers and the Lakers. And then, you know, they end the season with Ma- the Magic, 
San Antonio and Washington. So, you know, those are three games right there where you could really feel good about yourself trying to compete for, uh, you know, standing-wise, wherever you're going to fit in there. Because, I mean, the Pacers aren't that far back from the four seed. I believe right now it's two games. Is that Two games, yeah. 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 they they just continue to take care of business. They could get a home court playoff series, and I think that would be good for them and their confidence, knowing that they established themselves as a top four team in the East. And honestly, like I've I've been getting some uh, lashback on the fact that I want to play Boston, similar to you. Uh, I'm interested, yeah. you know, with the injuries to Philadelphia, I can't see them getting up to four. So you're either talking about Boston, Toronto, or Miami. Uh, has anything changed for you based on the way Jason Tatum's been playing? No, not really. I, and I haven't seen Celtics play a lot. I, I saw a little bit of their, their game last night where they lost in overtime to Houston. Um, but I'm looking forward to that that game against the Rockets at Banker's Life Fieldhouse because like, I'm not a guy who likes to go and watch I, I'm just not that guy. The NBA is such a star-driven deal. I try to that and go watch team basketball but i'm telling you if you've never seen harden in person where you can just focus on him away from the ball the ball and and just watch him for the 42 minutes he's going to play he's the best offensive basketball player and maybe the smartest offensive basketball player that i've ever seen play Mm -hmm. i saw him at bankers life Fieldhouse last year i was in awe for the amount of time he was on the floor he he's just Bart, the way he fills holes in the defense, gets the ball, and then figures out what the is trying to take away, and he just does the other thing at a level like no what he's doing, whether it's shooting threes, whether it's creating fouls, whether it's scoring through contact, whatever it is, he's just as I watched Michael Jordan when I lived in Chicago for six years, and it me, James Harden is a better offensive basketball player than than Michael, and I never thought I'd say that about anybody. I'm really looking forward to that game. But watching them match up against the Celtics, who are maybe qualitatively slight better than than the Pacers, but still kind of that sort of team where the the collective has got to be greater than the sum of the parts. I I love the way those two teams match up. Yeah, well, I think you just dropped a hot take for free there, saying that you think Harden's a better offensive <laughs> player than Jordan. I'll let that one kind of simmer and get people's feedback on that. But, uh, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it's one of those things where maybe he is a better offensive player, but he's not a better player. So I think that's a fair caveat there. You can kind of say, hey, I don't think he's better. Yeah, I just think he's oh, a better for scorer. sure. And, and you know, If you're ranking those two guys, you're not ranking James Harden ahead of Michael. Right. Because defensively, Michael was as good as it got. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a defensive player of the year james harden's never going to be that no and, and the thing is you also have to look at the eras and the style of play and how much more of a dynamic score could jordan have been if he was given the opportunity to you know you know shoot threes all the time with you know defenses that really can't guard as well anymore you put a hand on somebody it's a foul so uh it'd be interesting just to see how he would uh thrive in a different era i think he would still be uh, the greatest player of all time but anyway ken let's just kind of wrap this up and preview this game against san antonio because this is a, a team that's in limbo for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference, and they've got a, you know, a good coach in Greg Popovich, and they've got a decent team. I don't love all their pieces, and obviously I think that you can tell by the way this team has been uh, structured that 
they've had struggles for a reason. So uh, you look at San Antonio, a team that's not been great, but they're still okay. They're still, you know, a team you could see yourself losing to if you're a Pacer fan. Uh, what are your thoughts on the San Antonio Spurs? Well, yeah, I think that they are, they're one of those teams where the sum of the parts is greater than the collective, right? Mm-hmm. DeMar DeRozan is always a pain in the ass to play against. LaMarcus Aldridge is always a tough guy. Um, you know, Patty Mills, Brill, Bryn Forbes, uh, this Rudy Gay, there's Rudy Gay. You know, Rudy Gay, I don't know what it is about Rudy Gay, but it seems like any team he plays for is automatically less because he plays for them. You know, he's he's that guy, instead of being a tent post and pulling everybody else up, he seems to be that guy who shows up and drags everybody else down. So as long as Rudy Gay is on the floor for the Spurs, I feel pretty good about where the where the Pacers are. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, are you predicting a Pacers win for this game? Yeah, they should win. You know, you never know. You never know yeah. what team's going to show up. I don't know if they're going to be able to shoot like 55% like they did last night. But I, I think that they should win. I mean, they're a better team than the Spurs, you know, both in some and as a collective. So you, you've got to win games like that. And then you've got to go to Chicago and you got to win, too. Yeah, the Spurs are 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. So uh, Chicago, they're one of those teams where you don't really worry about. We talked about guard packs last week and how yeah. great they've been for the Pacers. So, uh, And I guess I, I, want, I want to throw one more thing in here just because uh, we saw a rumor come out from Ian Bagley that the Pacers were – uh, once again, highly interested in Aaron Gordon, and I've been a big Aaron Gordon fan. I know that I get made fun of it quite a bit on Twitter, how much I just like the guy and the potential I think he has. But uh, what were your thoughts on the rumor? I don't know if you saw that or not, but if you did, what were your thoughts on it? You know, I, I'm a big fan of Aaron Gordon. Obviously, he would make the, the Pacers better. Um, depends on what you what you have to do to acquire him. Mm-hmm. I suppose I, I love the core of this team, and and I think that they, you know, with, with the way Oladipo's been kind of reestablished as a guy on this team, and how clunky it's sort of been, I'd love to see them go into an off season knowing who they are and what they are, and going to the next preseason with with a really good comfort level for that roster and that locker room. I'd like to see that happen instead of reintroducing reintrodu- elements from the outside. But if you got a chance to go get a guy as dynamic as Eric Gordon, you know, as, as long as you don't have to mortgage the farm to go get him, I say ha- absolutely have at it. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's like obviously the two, the two biggest names that people expect the Pacers to trade are uh, Turner or Sabonis and then Aaron Holiday. I mean, you know, they're like, oh, they got to break up that center combo eventually. But, you know, looking at Orlando's roster, it's like they got Vucevic. They really don't need a center. So you'd probably have to get a third team involved to someone that wants a center. And uh, call me crazy, Kent, but I've got a, I've got a conspiracy for you, and I want, I want to hear yeah. your thoughts on it. So here's my conspiracy. Um, the 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 Turner versus Sabonis thing. So – Everybody is expecting the Pacers to move on from Miles Turner, right? Uh, yeah. If they're going to move on from one of them, they keep saying Miles Turner. So what the Pacers do this year is they get rid of Thaddeus Young and they insert Sabonis into that starting position at the power forward. Now, there was you know some rumors that the Pacers might not come to an agreement on a deal with Sabonis, but they eventually settled on one. And now you're seeing Sabonis as the the prominent ball handler for the most part with the offense, you know, running the offense through him. Not really ball handler, but, you know, running the offense through him. He's with the second unit quite a bit. He plays close to 35-plus minutes a game, makes an all-star bid, and 
at the same time, Turner's kind of having to take this back seat where he's just becoming a guy that spreads the floor and blocks shots, and he's playing 25, 27 minutes. So here's my conspiracy. If the Pacers were really wanting to, you know, and the, and the thing, other thing I forgot to add is no Oladipo until, what was it, the beginning of the end of January? So, right. um, you know, the Pacers probably weren't expecting to be serious playoff contenders this season anyway, and it's all about next year. Is there any, like, my conspiracy is, if the Pacers were really wanting to trade Miles Turner so bad, why didn't they do a better job of trying to raise his stock to get more from him? But in addition to that, they've, I mean, Sabonis has just been unbelievable this year. His stock is through the roof, probably more so than, uh, so more so than Turner. Could they have been planning this all along to try to get Sabonis to stock higher to move on from him and keep Turner? Is that, is that a crazy conspiracy? I, yeah, I, I've got to say it's a crazy conspiracy. <laughs> well, I, it's just I, a thought. I don't really agree with it, but it's just kind of like in the back of my mind, like what if they were doing all this, making Sabonis a focal point of everything, and what if they're like, hey, let's get his stock through the roof and see what we can get in return? Yeah, I, I, I Sabonis is going to be 24. Mm-hmm. He's an all-star. He's a, a almost an automatic double-double guy who, who flirts with triple-doubles all the time. I, he's dynamic. He is energetic. He is really, really smart. You know, when, when you see, and there were passes last night that he made on his way to those nine assists that were on time, on target. Put the, He's just a basketball player. He's got that, like we like to talk about Indiana players, right, in mm-hmm. the state of Indiana. Domas Sabonis is an Indiana-style basketball player, and Miles Turner is not. Mm-hmm. And Miles, you don't you don't develop that. You don't all of a sudden develop basketball DNA. Domas Sabonis has it. Miles Turner doesn't. There is no chance. I would be, given who these guys are in the in the front office, and given their understanding of the game and what they're trying to build, dealing Domas Sabonis is inconceivable to me. Dealing Miles Turner, that's quite conceivable. Yeah. Well, you know, I just wanted to throw it out there because. It's just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you understand all the points yeah. I brought up. Like, why, if you're really wanting to move on from Miles or you feel like you would be willing to shop him, why not try to make him more of the focal point? Uh, try to raise his stock. You know, if you're really wanting to get something of great value back, not saying they can't, but I'm saying uh, it would be better if, if he's averaging 18 points, 13 rebounds, than, you know, 12 and 7 or 12 and 6. And and he's playing less minutes. It's like, you know, they're putting a lot of wear and tear on Sabonis by playing him so many minutes as well. But I really just think, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm really thinking about it, it just crossed my mind. I just think McMillan wants to win games. And it doesn't matter right. what has to happen. So that's what's going on. But I'm just thinking, like, you know, I don't think the Pacers front office necessarily expected Sabonis to be as good as he's been this year. You know what? They were there were guys Ryan Carr among them uh, when they had that draft. When Sabonis was taken in the draft, eleventh overall, right? And Ryan Carr was like standing on the table, yelling at people to take Domas Sabonis, yelling at people to trade up for Domas Sabonis when he came available in that deal for Paul George. There was nobody who was happier than Ryan Carr. He's always loved him. Um, I, I just think, you know, in, in what you're talking about, kind of, is sort of that that spreadsheet manipulation 
that some publicly traded businesses engage in to inflate their revenue numbers, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like Miles Turner's that guy. And, and you're saying, okay, we need to inflate the revenue numbers in order to make our stock more attractive, no matter what it does to the, the overall health uh, of, you know, building this company. And Sabonis is a guy who's just going to make you a lot of money. Right. Mm-hmm. But with Turner, you've got to kind of manipulate it. Right. And and so that I, I think that that bolsters the argument that if you had to choose one or the other and Miles is a young guy, too. Right. I, Miles hadn't turned 25 yet. And and so he's a guy that you look at and you say, OK, the future might be pretty bright for this guy, too. Do we really want to give him up in order to get something else? But at the same time, Aaron Gordon, he hadn't turned 25 yet. So. You know, if if you can if you can swap Miles for Gordon or put together a package that brings uh, Aaron Gordon to the Pacers, you know he he's a, a double double guy, an eighteen point a game scorer. You know his brightest days are ahead of him too. Yeah, and I mean I've seen uh, people say they don't think Gordon would be a good fit with Sabonis, but I think a lot of people were skeptical of what T.J. Warren could be as well. And yeah. I think you know being under this Pacers. Regime, I think that he would develop into a better player than he already is, but he's been playing great since the All-Star break. And I just wanted to like throw it out there because I'm not saying like you have to get rid of Turner to make that move happen. I mean, it's possible you do, but if there's another way you can get him and you feel better about what you have, then I say go that route. And I think ultimately what it's going to come down to is how the, the Sabonis-Turner duo works in the playoffs. You know, How do teams expose it? How do we respond to it? How do we use it to our advantage? And I think... If there's a way that the Pacers can really thrive with those two guys on the court together in the playoffs when it matters the most, then I don't think they'll make a move. But if they if they get bounced in the first round and they get swept and it's strictly because those two guys were just not able to work together, that's when I think trade discussions will begin to talk. But it's it's still it's so early, and I yeah. would not rush, like we've said before. No reason to rush on a trade just to make a move because – this team is still really good. Like you said, they're super young, and it would just be smart to kind of ride this out. You know, and you look at what this team could could evolve into in the next year, two years, and you look at Antetokounmpo, and, you know, I don't know whether it's probable he winds up out on the West Coast and, and leaves Milwaukee. I know he likes Milwaukee, and Milwaukee has done a lot to kind – of, we talk about the St. Vincent Center and how that's – uh, you know, uh, an interesting sort of chip in the good direction for the Pacers to have a practice facility like that that's adjacent to the arena. Uh, the bu- the Bucks have an unbelievable place. It's a vibrant town. You, you can get lost in it. Uh, Antetokounmpo's kind of a quirky, personal guy, you know, where he doesn't share a lot with the media, doesn't do a lot of media. That suits him in in milwaukee in a way that maybe being in new york or la doesn't suit him so Mm -hmm. i don't know what the odds are that he's going to leave but if he leaves like that opens the east completely up and and all of a sudden a team like the pacers as they continue to develop and evolve they could wind up being the favorites in the east in a couple of years yeah there's no doubt about it and and the thing with Giannis is i mean he's just seven foot tall and dunks has no skill so uh It'll be. Uh, I'm just. I'm just kidding. Obviously, I'm sure you saw the James Harden <laughs> just... interview. But, uh, uh, but yeah. So you know, it's interesting. I mean, you gave James some love, so I had to throw some hate at hate at Giannis. No, just kidding. Giannis is unbelievable. Uh, probably no doubt about it. Hands down, the front runner to win the MVP this year. Yeah. You know, Milwaukee's good, but let's see what they do in the playoffs because 
you know, I, I was watching a clip where Chris Paul completely goes under the screen, lets Giannis shoot the three, he bricks it. You know, that's the best way, and it's a, it's depending upon the matchup because I think if they get into a, a, a matchup where it doesn't fit them well, they could lose in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I'm not saying that I expect them to, but I don't think they're unbeatable. I just think that they're so much better regular season-wise than everybody else. But come playoff time, anything can happen. Injuries can happen. And teams can get hot. I mean, it's 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 the first day of March, Kent. You know, uh, March Madness is here. So anyway, let's kind of wrap this up. Any any parting words you want to say? I have these parting words. I don't know how much money you have in your pocket, but whatever that amount is, I will bet you that the Bucks wind up being in the NBA Finals. Well, I don't carry cash, so that's a pretty easy bet for me. <laughs> What's your credit limit? If oh, you got plastic, I'll take that too. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to give that out on air, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, we'll we'll make a friendly bet. I'll take the field versus the Bucks. We'll have to All right, perfect. I'll take the field. So anyway, guys, you can follow Kent on Twitter at Kent Sterling. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. Make sure you check out our podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Setting the Pace Three and over on Instagram at Pacers Talk. We appreciate y'all, and we will talk to y'all next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.